Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today, here to discuss Ephesians 1. Making his second appearance on the podcast is Stephen Henning. Welcome, Stephen. Yes, thank you for having me back. This was a blast the first time. Really we, looking forward to this one. Yeah, we had to um, we had to reschedule this a couple of times, which is something that I do uh, regularly. Actually, you know, I, I can't help it. Even if I have a wide open schedule, there's something that yeah. always pops up right when. But um, this hit right about around the perfect time because we're recording on the day of Pentecost, which is uh, which is obviously somewhat related to what we're going to talk about today. It's a little different, but I think yeah. it uh, it kind of gets you in the spirit. You feel the Holy Spirit today. I definitely did when I was yeah. in service this morning. Every pun you? intended there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I didn't go to church today. I didn't even realize this was Pentecost Sunday until you just said it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I'm here uh, for it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I um I went to a new church this morning. It was a 168-year-old uh, Presbyterian church in the heart of downtown Portland. Wow. Uh, beautiful building, amazing woodwork, huge pipe organ, choir, uh-huh. the works. It was uh it was really really beautiful. And uh, and yeah, but now I'm ready to crack into some to some scripture. I don't know about you. Absolutely. We're doing a full chapter this time. We only did a handful of verses. Not that they weren't jam-packed out of Romans 5 when we did this last time. But this whole chapter, just the opening of a letter, is always. there's always some rich stuff mm-hmm. available from our friend Paul, you know? <laughs> Very excited for it. Yeah, Ephesians is um, a, a little more brief than some of Paul's other works, and um, but it is no less important and it's no less dense. And and this passage, Ephesians one, the chapter one, we have some really interesting theological implications with what's being said here, and some really right. interesting choices by Bible translators in different places to see uh, what they did Indeed. with the original language. Very yeah, very I, cool stuff. I have three translations here. You mentioned how many did you have? I think you had me beat by maybe a few. <laughs> I've got five that I was prepared to use today, but I have a sixth on hand if I need to. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, and with modern Bible app, right, I can just like tap a button and be in a new translation if I need to anyway. So infinite possibilities. Makes it super easy. And I always listen, you know, I always listen to the audio um, Mm -hmm. Bible pod, you know, the audio Bible recordings too, if I can. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not everyone on the YouVersion app has an audio recording audiobook uh, but some of them do and it's always great for me to he- not just hear it you know not just read it on the page but also hear it being said because sometimes yeah. hearing it out of someone else's uh, out of someone else's mouth can can help me uh, understand a sentence that's that's yeah. uh, difficult for me especially being like a, a self-described podcast addict a bit i'm a very like audio oriented person mm-hmm. so wherever i can hit play on something rather than I, like even if I'm gonna sit down and read, I usually end up putting reading music on or something like that. It's just like I I find myself more distracted if I'm in a completely silent room trying to read something. Yeah. And if my sense of hearing is engaged, it's like oh, 
I can relax. I can, I can <laughs> there settle is, into something, it. something, it just it's tickles less, your brain in a different yeah, way. It's, it's, yeah, uh, less distractibility. Well, uh, before we get into Ephesians chapter one, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I So I grew up in church pretty much since I have functional long-term memory. Like I, I don't remember a time I wasn't going to Sunday school or plugged into like a wanna doing a lot of Bible memorization and uh, like church games, I guess. So growing up in the church, I... Uh, my family was plugged into a church that I kind of describe as closeted Baptist in that they're, they were non-denominational Bible church. They might as well be Baptist. They just didn't want to answer to like a power hierarchy, I guess, or a denominational structure. Um, so that theology tended to be very like reformed uh, Calvinist and uh, very Baptist in its roots, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up in in that situation, like, uh, always having a ton of respect for the elders of the church and the pastor and, uh, growing up through youth group, like I very quickly got involved in playing music for church as well, like leading worship at youth group and eventually at the, the, the main church services. And that went on for, gosh, I only became an ex worship leader probably like three years ago. So it was probably a good, like 10 years of my life. I was playing music among all the different instruments and singing and, um, just getting to be plugged into the culture that way. And then, uh, yeah, I guess what you would describe as, uh, what a lot of people talk about, like a deconstruction or, uh, you know, a doubting period in my faith as it were, though I've always maintained that the person of Jesus has always captured me so completely that I don't think I'll ever not describe myself and as a Christian in some meaningful way. Uh, but however that looks, you know, today, Stephen versus five years ago, Stephen, you, you know, like five years ago, if I knew I was going to be saying some of the stuff I do on my, my own podcast about my faith, like I would be concerned for my destination to hell, you know, <laughs> <laughs> little worried about whether I was actually saved or not. Um, and who knows where you'll be in another five years. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not hell though. Fairly certainly not hell. <laughs> if anything, we could probably describe as like hell is here on earth right now. And uh, it's, it's our job to create heaven in some meaningful way. Right. Partnering with God. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, that's, I don't think anyone, I'll just come out the gate with the, on this one as a, as a pretty staunch universalist as they call it. But I don't think anyone is destined to a place where they're going to be tortured forever or burning or constantly rehashing the moments where they rejected God. And now they're just being tormented by that psychic damage. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I learned about a new, uh, theology of hell that is so part of the show has been like me learning about new stuff all the time. So constantly backtracking on things that I said being wrong oh, all yeah, the time. Of course. Uh, it, I'd like to think that's something of the charm of the show in general, but well, I, I mean, that's just human. Yeah, we'll just I go mean, ahead and I claim guess. that, right? Like, <laughs> I would hope you're learning something new after getting to speak with so many people. Yeah, every time too. I mean, really every episode, and then in the preparations for the episodes and things like that too. Yeah, right. But I learned of a um, something called conditional immortality. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with this? I am. Yeah, they'll uh, conditional immortality, or they'll call it annihilationism, where the second death, as it's described in the New Testament, is really like lights out 
you just cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, that is yeah. uh, in at opposition with the idea of eternal conscious torment, which is the the hell that I think a lot of people are taught growing up, and and kind of the the dominant one in the at least in the Western Church for yeah. for ages and ages. That's what we've always thought it was, and uh, and and that. This, the solid base of that idea of hell is breaking apart very quickly, yeah. and it's it's lovely to see actually because uh, what a it kind of what a terrible notion that whole thing is. Well, I think along with that is we are kind of uh, evolving beyond very like um, Platonist philosophy of the uh, of the material finite body with like an infinite soul implanted. So mm. if your presupposition is that the soul will never not exist, then it must exist in a place of constant torment or a place of constant delight because we have to assume that the soul just goes on in perpetuity because that's mm. the way this works apparently, according yeah. to Plato. Yeah. Um, but we've had, we've had many, many, many people think about the soulishness of people over the last 3,000 years from Plato, right? So we have some new ideas. Um, <laughs> And maybe if we get rid of that. Yeah, I think when I first started questioning like eternal conscious torment, it was uh, it was conditional immortality that um, really was the final like, oh, some smart people have other ideas about this. And <laughs> I like even that, while I don't think that's the way God is and I truly uh, hold on to a faith that what people call Christian universalism is the way it is. Uh, even the conditional immortality version of God seems a lot more loving to me than the one who like gets off on torturing people who didn't like yes. him. Right. It's yes. very like pissed off kid, like lasering ants with a magnifying glass. Like that's, <laughs> that's not the God I want to be in relationship with. If that's really how he is. That's quite an image. <clears throat> no, but it is, it's like a step in the right direction. Yeah, and uh, it it was fascinating. I heard that um, that theory from someone uh, that has otherwise very conservative views on a lot of things, and it was like, oh, I did not expect that out of you. It was, uh, yeah. it, it was pleasant to hear. I don't know where we wound. How do we wound up in hell here? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> well, this was uh, that the 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 hell conversation very much captured like the beginning of my deconstruction or what I call my on my podcast ravel like the verb to ravel is the same as unravel it just doesn't have that unnecessary negative on it Mm -hmm. and when it comes to our faith lives I think uh I think it's a very honest process of approaching what you were raised to believe and asking earnest questions about it not with a goal of just tearing everything down and letting it all just be rubble by the time it's over but when you uh, when you spend some time carefully pulling on one thread and seeing how much that's actually intertwined in, right? Like you start thinking about hell, you you start thinking about <laughs> heaven, first of all, and mm-hmm. then you start thinking about what, what does it even mean that I'm alive mm-hmm. right now? And what implication does that have on the way I conduct my life? You know, at, for me, like really interrogating my American citizenship versus my heavenly citizenship was a huge one for me. Um, and that even being allowed to like change my politics over time mm-hmm. is like, how, how does the person of Jesus Christ actually transform my politics in a world where I want to see maximal flourishing for especially the people that it seemed like Jesus in his ministry was here for, which are the marginalized and the oppressed and the voiceless 
and the hurting, what does that mean? And how can I use my privilege, right? Being in a very red state, being a cisgender white man, what can I do to like Mm -hmm. self-identify with these communities that Jesus was seeking to be with? Because if that's where Jesus is, that's actually where I want to be, you know? (laughs) But that starts with hell for me because I then then that's the God that I actually want to follow into the rough places in the world where we can begin transforming the hellish uh, reality of our earth that it can be sometimes, right? School shootings, wars, these things. Like, how can we, as people of Jesus in this church, right, how can we, like, begin transforming the world and really live as if the kingdom of heaven is here now? Because that's what Jesus said with a pretty... A uh, pretty determined amount of uh, conviction, right? Like the kingdom yeah. of heaven is here. It's not coming. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> yeah, and we have a responsibility. This is part of the sermon, actually, at the the uh, the service I went to this morning, talking about this uh, this difficult world that we're living in, you know, now and you know forever, basically yeah, that has right. been um, challenging, and we find new ways to commit atrocities as human beings and, and do awful things to each other. And, and it's really hard, I think, to, to read, to, to look at a, a, a celebration like, like Pentecost or, or uh, to, to, to read something as, uh, as enriching and, and optimistic as it seems as Ephesians is, and then look around at the world that's a, that, that, that you're in and go, how is God here? Where is God here? Right. And, and, um, and the the minister brought up a very interesting, you know, this this idea that the Holy Spirit is within us as well as coming, you know, coming down upon us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a dove; it is how we act and how we move in the world. And that's why something like Pentecost is so important because it is uh, the understanding, the um, the outward expression of God within us, so that we know that we now have a mission. Right. And, uh, you know, where that takes you and how, how you move within that is obviously anyone's decision and how they, um, you know, how they come to what they believe is right. But yeah, right. It's, it's just, um, yeah, yeah, it can be really difficult. And I, I mean, I like the idea of your podcast, uh, Ravel, because it, a lot of people who think about deconstruction um, or people who are questioning their faith in a number of ways, just they kind of have this tear it all down and, um, and move on attitude mm-hmm. about it and mm-hmm. it's really it's really sad it's it's really unfortunate there it's not necessary to uh, disassociate with god entirely yeah uh, right. you can find your relationship with god in a way that allows you to do the most good in the world and allows you to uh you know connect in in a greater more substantial way yeah. and it will right. be more fulfilling yeah if you can allow yourself to ask questions and allow yourself to pull things apart yeah well and just normalizing the idea of we don't all need the mdiv or the the formal training in order to really think deeply about our God and why our theology matters to our life. Right. Um, the idea that normal people can do this and have earnest conversations just by asking a question or two. Mm-hmm. Um, granted that, that it does co- kind of require like a, like a meta attitude of the community to say that those questions are welcome and we're not threatened by it. Right. Because we all have, um, at least, at least for our like Ravel community is like, we're all captured by an idea of Jesus that kind of like orients us so, so much so that it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter that 
I believe belief X over here and my friend Courtney believes belief Y. And sometimes those are those X and Y beliefs are paired in such a way that they're like diametrically opposed and they can't coexist. And Mm. that just doesn't seem like the way things need to work. Right. Like uh, even in all the, the stories we have of Jesus spending time with people that thought it was incongruous for a rabbi to be spending time with these prostitutes and tax collectors and um, sharing drinks, having parties, uh, and then also going so far as to say, your sins are forgiven. Like, go and sin no more. Like, Mm -hmm. find a new way and change your thought habits and orient your your thinking life and your faith life around the reality that the kingdom of heaven is here ushered in by Jesus and his people just pouring out the most extravagant demonstrations of love that we can muster. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jesus liked a challenge, you know, he regularly spoke with the Pharisees on purpose. He, he wanted to be challenged. He wanted to have these difficult conversations. He wanted to have someone say, there's no way that that can be true. And that's gotta be wrong. And here's why I believe that to be true because, you know, most of the people that were challenging Jesus at the time weren't doing it because they were, uh, just, stubborn yeah they were doing it because they thought they were doing the right thing they had studied scripture they had you know at uh philosophized at length and theologized at length about the nature of god Mm -hmm. and then someone shows up and says here i am uh and 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 jesus welcomed it i I think it was amazing i i think that like we would do well to take that as an example to regularly engage with things that challenge us and and people that don't agree with us yeah right we won't learn any way else we won't grow any other way and don't show up just desiring uh the debate venue wherein you can just make your point and feel really good about it and have your team yeah. cheer you on. I think that's, that's why just the, the simple act of a question it, it like represents so much more fertile ground than a debate, right. Mm-hmm. Or a tweet thread yeah. or however that, <laughs> that is uh, in our <laughs> modern iterations. Like that, that's how we start every episode of Ravel is one of us has a question the other two have no idea what the question is. We ask the question and then we go for an hour just f- seeing where that conversation meanders and feeling what that inspires in us and brings up um, mm-hmm. in relation to our faith lives. Like, and it, it, it's fun. If I'm honest, it's yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know not everyone is built like me in that they would think that is fun, but I'm sure they have their, version of that where they can find connection with someone by asking an earnest question looking for an answer and not coming with a preloaded uh opinion you know or even if you do spirit move you open for that spirit move you yeah there you go open for that to evolve so my goodness should we get into it now shall we yeah i guess we should sorry i got a little uh got a little long wind when hell comes up I just got to talk about. Thank you. <laughs> I just got to talk about. Listen, that's where I am at too. That's it's where it all started for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter one. Uh, we begin with a greeting, uh, fairly routine for Paul to be very formal in his opening. This one's a little shorter than some of the other letters. Mm-hmm. Um, we have. Uh, I- I'm going to start in the ESV because I 
usually do, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I don't like the way the ESV does this letter sure. at all. Right. Um, <clears throat> all the same, uh, it's it's my it's my trusty old Bible, and I just can't I just can't let her go. So I completely uh, understand. I grew up with this <laughs> NIV translation right here, so this is always where I start as well. <laughs> And the spirit will move us elsewhere. Of course. That's what the spirit does. Of course. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read, uh, I think I'm going to read through, let's say, chapter, or uh, uh, verse 6. So I'll go verses 1 through 6 in chapter 1. Sure. <clears throat> uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the next header here in the SV says spiritual blessings in Christ. It starts at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And we'll pause there. Mm. Uh, predestined jumps right off the page for me. Doesn't it, though? It really does feel <laughs> like a like a gut punch after being lulled in the opening of the letter, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think folks with... Um, folks with fairly mainstream but maybe a little more um intellectually turned on kind of mindsets like someone like nt right mm -hmm. uh has a little bit of a different way of of wording what was said there so if you don't mind i'm just going to go through uh i believe four through six here in the nt right oh absolutely please and then we can dive in a little bit more uh it says, he chose us in him before the world was made so as to be holy and irreproachable before him in love. He foreordained us for himself mm. to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus the King. That's how he wanted it. And that's what gave him delight. So that the glory of his grace, the grace he poured on us in his beloved one, might receive its due praise. A little different. Sounds a little different, it? Doesn't does, it? yeah. <clears throat> uh, what I like about that turn and something I noticed that the ESV was missing that the NIV has here is uh, the ending of verse five. I think the ESV said in accordance to the purpose of his will. And mm -hmm. one word that the NIV really like brought to me in my reading was in accordance with his pleasure and will like the idea that we as being invited into God's family, like brings God delight or brings God pleasure yes. um, in the sense of like, I'm thinking laughter. I'm thinking like families, like having a little wrestling and tickling session on the living room floor. Right. Like I just like <laughs> that, that, that idea of just like being wrapped up in fun <laughs> with, with our heavenly father. Just a delightful. I think experience. that is the right. Yeah. That's the right use though. I think that is the right word. Yeah. Not that I know the Greek, but if you look across other translations, um, 
one of my favorite new uh, New Testament translations is the, the J.B. Phillips New Testament in Modern English. Mm-hmm. It's not really modern anymore. It was done back in the early 60s, I think. But he says a very similar thing. Uh, this was his will and pleasure that we might praise that glorious generosity of his. Mm. So, yeah, God delights in our praise, but God delights in giving us that love and the giving that he has that he has rained down upon us and the, the giving that he brought down to earth through Jesus Christ is something that gives him pleasure. Mm. Um, I mean, it's wonderful. It's, it's difficult to, you know, in when when you go through a few different translations yeah, here. right. You know, it's difficult to argue with that. Absolutely. Right? I think what, what <laughs> bothers me, what initially bothers me about the idea of that being predestined for us, right, as if, as if it was just like this was always the way it's going to be, I think that always brings my mind to the philosophical conversations about, like, free will versus yeah. just being, like, fleshy automatons right with just like a very (laughs) specific set of programming and i don't know maybe the fall represents like a virus in our code or whatever but i think what if if i can free myself from those connotations of the philosophical free will versus determinism all these kind of things the the way like the way the message says it is it just as long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, what pleasure he must have taken in planning this. Yeah. And that idea of just like long ago, God decided that Stephen Henning was going to be a part of the thing. Well, now (laughs) I feel like I'm a part of something huge. Right. And like it, it brings me honor to be named in that, right. Like the book of life or like named in that roster of like, ah, God wanted me like, it's such it's such a beautiful thing to take pleasure in that like that feeling of being desired and knowing that that brings someone else pleasure right like that that's the root of romantic relationship is the 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 co-equal the desiring of each other and that just it it's like when two sine waves like when two sound waves perfectly match up and that doubles the amplitude like that makes it louder and and yeah. so if we have this like divine dance of desiring one another like Christ desiring me the father desiring Christ me desiring the father like and now we're all in this this big like wedding dancing party you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it's a love triangle but not not the kind that that are you know that are yeah. that we know of it's an entirely love. different notion of a love triangle we are <laughs> uh, we as people as the body of yeah. Christ uh, Christ who oversees us, but God, one with Christ, uh, who sent Christ down. Uh, incredible. Right. I mean, wonderful. And I think that making sure that the predestination, if the ES, if we go with the ESV's word, or the choice, or the foreordainment, like N.T. Wright said, is done in love. Right. This is not God like writing a novel and um and sort of like all right let's get on to the next yeah, plot right. point let's move on here it is with the you know with the um the heart for humanity that god has the true love that god has for people uh, and for all mm. of god's creations uh, in that love 
that's where the plan was hatched. That's where the um, that's where the idea came to be, and that makes us all part of the story of right. God. How cool is that? How important does that make you feel? I mean, that makes me feel pretty, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I'm a part of something, or like, uh, I like I would hope it inspires in all of us a sense of humility of like, whoa, what on earth does God see in my being? I don't even mm-hmm. recognize yet. Like what, you know, the, it's very like, there's the sense of like, I, I can see how it can become prideful, but in a way of like, God sees something in me that I don't, what must be true of me that I don't even know yet. <laughs> Cause if God <laughs> says it, it must be that way. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And is that gift in, is that gift in us? Is that, is that, um, is that path for us within us already? Are we waiting for it? It raises a lot right. of questions too, right? Or both and. Um, we right? are like we have it already, yeah. and it's going to get better. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, really, it's it's when we let go of this idea of predestined. Like, let's say I was predestined for that. I think the immediate question is, well, does that mean others are predestined for the opposite, right? And that's the whole hell conversation: is if I'm uh-huh. part of the elect, right? Uh, what does that mean for the people who are non-elect? Though I think, I think the best way to start reading language of predestined and election and adoption is, it's available for everyone. Everyone is adopted. Everyone is part of the elect. In my mind. Yeah, the use that the use that Paul has here is that um us right us sons too, yeah. the word the use of yeah. sons, which is sort of like short, as we know now is shorthand. It's not just like God. God said, all right, the men are right. going to yeah. rock. <laughs> Dudes are going to rock on earth. <laughs> that is not what God was right. getting at with this plan. But it was, uh, you know, it seems like Paul is spe- speaking to a specific mm-hmm. church, but I don't get the impression that Paul is saying, yes, us, our very specific group of the church, yeah. these churches that I helped set up, the people that that Timothy has interacted with, or Apollos, or whatever, like all of these people that were part of um, Paul's gang, this is not like they're um, they're starting a tight knit and exclusionary group. He's saying that he chose us as people who believe, as people who accept Christ, people who accept Christ into our hearts. Anyone who right. does, not uh, not 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 his pals, not his best friends. Um, should we move on to? Verse 7 here. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I'm going to go back to the NT right New Testament. I just like the rhythm of it, and it was a little bit whimsical, which I like. So let's uh, let's go back into 7 here in the NT right New Testament. It says, In the king and through his blood we have deliverance. That is, our sins have been forgiven through the wealth of his grace, which he lavished on us. Yes, with all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the secret of his purpose, just as he wanted it to be and set set it forward in him as a blueprint for when the time was ripe. His plan was to sum up the whole cosmos in the king. Yes, everything in heaven and on earth in him. Whew. Whew. That's big. No exaggeration. That gives me goosebumps almost every time I read it. <laughs> this, incredible. Right. So even in verse 7, when we have in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Like God is up to something and that something is so wildly generous, right? It's a lavishing. There's like 
there are uncountable yeah. riches that he's just like handing out for everyone. Yes. And yes. that that is such a beautiful vision uh, uh, over and above, in my opinion, a God who like has a plan and that plan involves sending people to be tortured forever or however you want to say that. <laughs> <You're> like <laughs> that, uh, the, the God who has such a richness of grace that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding according to his wisdom. That's not even our human sense of, understanding our wisdom like this is surpassing a human understanding of what we're doing and if it if it is all of god's wisdom to lavish these riches of grace (laughs) upon us um yeah yeah, yes please sign me up for that (laughs) i'm all for it and important to note i mean riches of his grace i think that um it's easy to uh, let financial language like mark the way that we think about what's going yeah, on with God. Like a prosperity. Uh, this type. is not a prosperity gospel thing. That's never what Paul was trying to get at. Riches of grace have to do with, uh, you know, spiritual riches uh, and inclusion, uh, peace, gifts of, safety. of the Spirit, inclusion, oh. peace, love. God is just smothering us in kisses yes. on the cheek. That's kind of what's going on here. It's not. It's not like God is is lavishing us with like cool gold chains, right. and and is is going to make sure that we're prosperous in this world because what matters in this world does not yeah. matter yeah. Uh, in the same way as our eternal selves do, as our souls and our relationship yeah. to God and our relationship to Jesus, uh, our established uh, status yeah. here in the world is much much less important. Well, to God. so then he goes on in verse nine, right? And he made known to us the mystery. In the NIV, we call it the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, and I think in what you read, it was called the secret, right? And what, yeah. I, what I love about even reading a bit of scripture like this is that it's almost this idea, like Rob Bell talks a lot about, like, blessed is he who is in on the joke. And to me, like, <laughs> the mystery of Christ to me is what what a blessing it is to be in on the project of Christ now in my life now, rather than having to wait for later, I guess. Like how wonderful is it that I'm in on the joke or like, I know the secret or I've at least tasted the mystery to a degree that I really do have an experience of heaven is here now and not just something for later. Yeah. And phrases like that, you can see why uh, there was such uh, at in the early church such a, the, the Gnostics kind of proliferated in the way that they did because it was the mystery, the yeah. secret. Yeah, you know, the, we're in on something that other people don't know about. But I think it's important too that it's not that we that we're in on something and no one's ever, no one else is ever right. going to know about it. Again, we're not creating exclusionary boundaries. We're saying that. Uh, we're in on it now because we have faith, we have Christ, you know, within yeah. us. We've accepted Christ, uh, and everyone else is going to eventually see it anyway. And we'll get to that, I think, in verse ten. You see, a oh, bit absolutely. More of that. But yeah, and ESV uses mystery. You said NIV uses mystery. Uh, NT Wright used secret, uh, and. Uh, David Bentley Hart, who uses a very close style of translation in a lot of ways to the original Greek, actually says mystery as well. So uh, score one for the traditional Western 
translations of yeah. the Bible, ESV yeah, and NIV. There you go. Good Absolutely. work, I guess. <laughs> right. So verse 10, I sent you a, a yeah. link to a podcast about this one um, because, right, so in the NIV, it's to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And then my footnote in my study Bible is, Paul uses a significant term here that not only has the idea of leadership, but also was often used of adding up a column of figures. A contemporary way of putting it might be to say that in a world of confusion where things do not quote unquote add up or make sense, we look forward to the time when everything will be brought into meaningful relationship under the headship of Christ. Hmm. Man, it... I'm picturing um, strings getting tuned on a guitar yeah. or something. Everything that kind of feels like it's in mm-hmm. disarray, that it one day it will all be brought into mm-hmm. harmony. And all is so important in this verse. All is so important. Which we talked about when in Romans can, 5 as well, is like all means something. We can't just... We can't 100%. just... 100%. Skip right on over all <laughs> without considering the implications. I don't know how anyone could read this, anyone at all, regardless of what your philosophy is uh, uh, on hell, regardless of what you believe uh, about people who believe who have other um, tradi- faith traditions, how they believe in God. If they don't believe in God, you can read a line like, uh, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and mm. things on earth. How you read that and go, yeah, and a bunch of people are just going to kind of get tossed to the side. Uh, unfortunate, but, you know, right. it's got to happen. That's, I don't, I don't know how you, right. how you get there. With, with this line and with what we read uh, in the, the, the bonus episode, which I, I'm making a point now to plug the Patreon at least one time in every main feed episode. So, folks, <laughs> if you want to hear our other conversation about Romans, uh, go to patreon.com backslash transregardsnoopy, and you can... Um, you can sign up there and get a whole bunch of bonus content and great, great, uh, great conversations with other folks. But again, beside the point, uh, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, all, all. Mic drop. <laughs> That's enough. How is that not enough? Right. <laughs> the message. The message Let's, says uh, he set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything. Which I thought it was interesting that he divided. It's not. It's not the conjunctive word everything with no space. Like, it's every space thing would be brought together and summed mm-hmm. up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. The space in between every and thing feels meaningful too, because it's like it's not just everything. It's not like a toss out phrase. It's everything right. individual spaces every on either side, like you said. <laughs> every individual thing in the world jb phillips does a really interesting thing with this passage it kind of blends Mm -hmm. nine and ten here he says for god has allowed us to know the secret of his plan and it is this he purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in christ that everything that exists in heaven or earth should find its perfection and fulfillment Mm. in him he's doing something a little different there with Mm. with the text isn't he wow I don't know if I love that as much, but I, I think it's an interesting point to say that 
Well, no, he's not saying this is maybe a, a, a contrast. This is maybe a disagreement with what we've been saying about all right. things, right? Maybe he's saying, oh, yeah, he's saying all things, but they're, they're consummated into perfection in Christ. If those things aren't in Christ, yeah. well, can't help. And, how can, and we're going to get here, I think, with verse 23. Like The conclusion of this is, to me, I just want to ask the question, not in like a snarky way, but like, how how could we even conceive of anything existing outside of Christ? The thing that animates the universe, right? Like the thing that is yeah. in and through everything, as Paul says in Colossians. Um, yeah. Which is why I was originally, this is, Very well, good point. so this is why I originally was even captured with the idea of conditional immortality as an alternative to hell in that, you know, if God withdrew his self from me, I would rightly cease to exist. And I'm, I, I'm on, I'm very comfortable with the logic of that. <laughs> I just don't think God is the type of <laughs> God to remove himself from anyone because he has a, he has this long range you know, plan of adopting us all into the family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the compelling thing that someone with the solid, you know, belief in, conditional immortality would say was this should even please the atheists right because the atheists don't believe and they're getting anything. what they want right so eternal dirt nap the end result <laughs> is exactly yeah. what they wanted yeah and and it's almost like people who uh who embrace universalism are not satisfied they're not willing to say i will let right. those people go i will let them evaporate uh, i can't and god yeah. wouldn't god won't there's no way that a loving God would allow those people to evaporate into nothing. Yeah. Uh, God is way too interested in perfecting us and bringing us all together. And I, I think there is something, too, of, like, I I often hear people ha- taking issue with universalism because they imagine it would inspire them to become uh, uninspired or lazy in, like, quote-unquote sharing the gospel. I think when you think mm. of universalism— I can see where someone is coming from to say, well, what's the point of me like trying to be the light of Christ in the world or volunteering at the, the church's soup kitchen, right? Or what, like, what's the point if it's all going to end in a way that's good for everyone anyway? And to me, I want to say like, I don't think you are completely captured by what a beautiful idea this is. Like it inspires me more to talk about God when I think it is all going to be okay in the end. And as, as uh, mm-hmm. Tolkien says it in the mouth of Sam Gamgee, like is everything now sad going to become untrue? Like, yes, I think that's the way it is, but I am so excited about that, that I want to be more of a yeah. like quote unquote evangelist for that rather than the person who's, convinced that i'm like i'm snatching people from the uh the delicate spider web hanging over the fires of hell right thank (laughs) thank you jonathan edwards for that terrifying image but like (laughs) the the, um the eternal eternal salvation and perfection of all people together should be an exciting enough idea for us that we are not just uh feeling like it's our duty to go out and and spread the word of the gospel and let other people know about Jesus, but it should make us yeah. excited. I want others to, to be it. in on the and, joke. And, <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> in on the joke. And the, um, 
the same question then could be asked in reverse about Calvinists. If if God has predestined those who are going to heaven or What's will be point? saved and those who won't, right. then what the hell's the point? <laughs> yeah, what, what, <laughs> what could possibly be the reason? Uh, oh, I'm sorry if anyone listening is Calvinist. I love you and I appreciate you in Christ. So uh, We all belong, <laughs> as we see. Everything finds its headship in Christ. Yeah. We'll all be together someday anyway, so we can talk about yeah. it. <laughs> um, should, we, um, should we keep moving on? I think I feel so. Like we yeah, still have let's a lot go. of ground to cover here. Okay. Okay, so uh, moving on to verse 11, back in the ESV says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. First thing this made me think about was Romans 8. I, I can't imagine why. I, uh, I'm going to pull that <laughs> up here. <laughs> because it says something. The idea that this is our inheritance is like it's a, f- it's a foregone conclusion that this is what we will, we will be inheriting, the, that the love of God is, is right. in our family. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. Um, but the uh, – and that's in verse uh, verses 16 and 17 where Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit – that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be mm. glorified with him. Our inheritance is the glory of God. What an inheritance that is. It's better than a, better than a house, I think, uh, on earth. I think it, it, eternal glory and perfection mm. in Christ is a pretty good thing to get handed down to you by your by right. your holy father also forgive me for shoehorning uh <laughs> luke 15 in here again because it's like my favorite chapter of the bible with the tale of the prodigal son the the idea that right it's a shameful thing for the son to ask for his inheritance early essentially saying like god I, or like dad i wish you were dead so that i could have my stuff um even <laughs> with that with what you just laid out like i love the idea that what the father couldn't give away was his relationship to his son at all right like he couldn't he couldn't divorce himself from his relationship of that father to son uh pairing or that uh intertwined nature of their relationship like you can you could never give that away i can give you all your money and you can go spend it on really dumb stuff uh but when you come home, I'm going to give you a robe. I'll give you sandals. Like, yeah, because my son is back. <laughs> it's right. unconditional. And and it's even it's made even more, and I didn't point this out when we read through that verse the first time in verse 5, but it's made even more interesting, even more uh, intentional, and even more loving in that we are adopted yeah. to himself. That 
an inheritance in some ways is like a obligatory or a sort of just the natural order of things. Uh, you have a kid, you pass the stuff down. But in that we are adopted into the family of Christ, we are adopted into the love of God, means that we that God intentionally sought out to create a family of yeah. love uh, in this way yeah. and, and to pass on, to lavish us with his love in that way. That's right. so cool. And it makes it, I mean, it makes that, it makes me love mm-hmm. God that much more. Yeah, yeah. Even that idea of chosen family, right? Like I'm God's chosen family. Wow. What a huge, yeah. <laughs> me? In that like I was sought out. <laughs> so I, in, in very real terms, right? Like my wife and I are, in the midst of the paperwork flurry of um, getting ready to become foster parents in the state of Montana. And this, that's awesome. So really the adoption uh, language has become very real to me (laughs) recently is with, with, yeah, with uh, where we are in our journey of right. Like fertility, even between the two of us, we've experienced a pair of miscarriages in 2020 and just feeling that that wellspring of like wow I really did not know how much love I had to give until I felt like Mm -hmm. I was deprived of the opportunity to give that to a child after Uh experiencing a miscarriage is like wow I have so much of my heart wrapped up in what that relationship is to me now to our uh our miscarriage is like right like we gave them names and we celebrate their what would have been likely their birthdays um based on due dates and all that because like in a very real way that taught me that uh it, it it taught me what i think about the afterlife to be quite honest because i believe those are people i will one day actually meet um just because I feel that 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 is like a deep experience inside of me of like, there is a part of me that is no longer a part of me because it was given away in this act of like creating something new. And while that was, while that was taken from us and became a very painful part of our story is like realizing what reserves like right in the, the in, in God's riches of grace and like adopting us into that family or into God's family. I feel like that having miscarriages taught me that that now becomes an overflowing cup with which I can open my literal doors and make a bedroom and a nursery and let children who need a home have a home. And like, that's, that's where that overflow of love gets to go, man. So this goal, this adoption language that Paul has here in Ephesians is, is uh, it's pretty big for me right now because I know what it feels like to desire an adoptive child. And it says something about the nature of God that he is so overflowing with love that it is an, you know, it is a necessity it is his plan. This is what I'm going to do. I will I will give that love out. And that's how we are shown as reflections mm-hmm. of the nature of God in that we have that love mm-hmm. for each other. 
we have that love yeah. for our children we have that love for our partners or our friends or strangers um that it pours out everywhere because of what god has decided to mm-hmm. do with people on earth and and uh i mean it's just the it's, other thing that yeah the other thing it, that just came up for me is I'm, I'm thinking of that parable of the the vine dressers who the first few workers show up in the morning and they agree to a wage and then the other guys oh, yeah. show up in mid-afternoon and they agree to a wage and then the people who show up like an hour before closing time they agree to a wage and it turns out that wage set by the employer was the same right and the people who showed up early were starting to feel entitled to well hold on they just showed up and i did 10 times the amount of work but i'm only getting this much and i Mm -hmm. there's a there's a humility involved in recognizing that we're a part of an adoptive family because this is something that i've been learning listening to podcasts and uh listening to like educational materials about uh opening your family up to the adoption process especially when it be be starts to become a blended mix of these are my biological children and these are my adoptive children is there there is a very real tension to manage among the biological and the adoptive relationship of like well he's actually my dad right versus Mm, yeah and you know i'm just thinking about this in terms of man I would hope that I wouldn't be one of the grumbling early morning workers and that I would be able to recognize like, yeah, I agreed to this. And also (laughs) this should be enough. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a fair wage. God's love is a fair (laughs) wage for all of us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's interesting because that, there's a reflection there, obviously, the parable being uh, tied to um, relating to the formation of the church and saying, okay, well, you know, there were the the people that were there initially and then there are the people that are yeah. showing up later. And, um, you know, they're all getting the same wage and, and obviously yeah. that will upset some people yeah. who were there earlier on. But um, y- right. you're paid handsomely for your work regardless of whether it starts – uh, at when you're yeah. three years old and and you're brought up in the church and you feel like you you know it, it is a part of you or if you accept Christ moments before your death and repent of your sins and or even after your death and, uh, we could and add. accept God into your heart <laughs> or even after your death yes of course yeah but it I think it's a very natural feeling to feel like well I've been a Christian since I was five years old and now I feel like like it I can see how it would be natural to feel like, well, that person accepted Christ like right uh, on their deathbed or even in this universalist idea of that option was left open until all were redeemed and all were included in this adoptive family of Christ's people, Christ's co-heirs, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that almost like a feeling of entitlement of like, well, where's my extra or where's my bonus because I started earlier but really on the scales of eternity my eternity is equally as long as yours even if i was born four years later or whatever like i don't know (laughs) i don't know how our ages compare but just that idea of like man someone born a hundred years ago who's a christian a hundred years ago like they don't get a the equivalent of a hundred years more 
riches, extra rooms on their heavenly mansion. However you want to say that, like, because eternity is eternity <laughs> is eternity really like on those scales, it really shouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that's, but there was that feeling even in the early church, not so much um, necessarily with, you know, uh, Jews who were skeptical of people who were following Christ, but even early Christians were saying, well, we were here, we should be exalted. We want to sit next to God. We want to be, uh, we want to be at the head of the table, at the head of the, he- the heavenly table. And, uh, and it's such a, it's such a misguided thing to think because right. eternity is eternity. Uh, what is five years? What is 10 years? What's a hundred years? Let's say it's we're nothing. allowed to take some of these words literally. What does it mean then that the last shall be first and the first shall be last? Like, like how dare you Ooh. think that you're entitled to anything more <laughs> than like the complete riches that are being lavished upon us by God who mm. just desires to freely give it away to every adoptive family member, you know? And like, even the way Paul in verse 12, he says, uh, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So even if we were the first, sure, we might enjoy uh, partaking in that glory in the sense of um, maybe some accomplishment, right? Of feeling like I contributed to the church on earth. Hmm. And that honestly does feel really good to be plugged into a community of people and feel like I'm making a difference in my city, you know? Um, and I, in very Absolutely. real tangible ways, I think you can experience the benefit of being part of that uh, praise of the glory. Right. But then yeah. don't hog it for yourself. Like the whole, the whole project is that we <laughs> overflow and just hand it on, pass it on to the next and the people around you. Huh. And the, the glorification of God should be glory uh, to right. you enough that you, you're you not seeking yeah. anything aside from that. Uh, sure, creature comforts on earth are a wonderful thing and they make us feel great, but um, your reward, uh, your reward on earth should be that you are bringing others into the family of love. You are bringing yeah. others into the family of Christ. That is a glorious right. thing. That's a truly wonderful thing. Better than any sports car. Uh, better than any television program. It's uh, it's truly like you know you have fulfilled your calling in a way that um, that pleases God yeah. and improves the lives of others and grows the church and yeah. makes the family more bountiful and more true. And- it's, and that uh, just overflows in thankfulness, I guess, right? Like just that sense of gratitude. Yeah. Of like I cannot believe I'm in on the joke and get to be a part of this. This feels crazy. And this feels <laughs> so wonderful to be desired by God. I just keep coming back to that idea. But I honestly think that's the, well, like, I feel like we are in the stream of what Paul was getting at, because if I may take over reading, um, this is quite literally sure. like how he pivots after talking about what we just finished talking about, starting in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Twenty three really, really caps it, doesn't it? This is the this is the other verse that I really yeah. wanted to make sure, and I'm glad we got here because this is this is the the other verse that I really wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about because uh, Christ, the idea of Christ filling all in all, fills all in all, is mm-hmm. the phrase that the ESV uses. Um, I was just gonna check because I haven't used this one yet. The voice. Oh, excellent. Today. Uh, says this church is his body the fullness of the one who fills all in all fills all in all seems to be the yeah seems to be the operative yeah the message says what do you think it means for christ to fill so here's the way the message says it um at the center of all this christ rules the church the church you see is not peripheral to the world the world is rather peripheral to the church the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. So the way the, the message just puts it there, that makes it... I really like the that inclusive feeling of like, I'm actually a part of that. Like, if I'm... If yeah, I'm part of the church, the onus on the believer, doesn't it? It kind of makes us think... There's like some, responsibility some responsibility and there's some matter, duty, but we? as we've we've already covered that should also be it should be more born out of a genuine i guess excitement or desire to share in the sense of i want you to be in on the joke too right so me as an ambassador through the church gets to go now fill every part of our culture right like i think this is a very like i've heard people talk about Christians should be like the best filmmakers or the best podcasters or the best authors or all this. And uh, unfortunately we do not have that reputation, right? You want to talk about Christian cinema. (laughs) (laughs) We are the best podcasters. I mean, we are the best cinema. We're, we're a long ways off on cinema. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, that idea of now I I do also think that, uh, I have some work to do because my, my gut reaction is also like, sure, Christians should be in the legislatures, but also separation of church and state. Don't legislate your real religiosity into the laws of the land in a way. But that that's a very American opinion, uh, which obviously, like, I think I have some work to do because, I mean, when with these messages going out at the time they were like, Rome was the America of the time, like the superpower, the empire that ran the majority of the world. Um, yeah. So what, like, what would it mean for the church to like fill the halls of government in a meaningful way? I'm not quite sure, but I don't think it turns into like what Constantine wanted when he made it the official religion of Rome. You know, like, I don't think that's, I think that was yeah. one of the worst things that ever happened to the church was it gaining political power in a way that can be corrupted a lot easier 
in my opinion. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it brings that, it's, it's a little bit of a vague mm-hmm. phrase, feeling all in all. I think in a lot of people's yeah. heads, that's where our mind goes, right? Well, we're, we're, to, yeah. we're to proliferate yeah. in all things. You know, as part of the body of Christ, who is, you know, Christ within us, we are to then spread, you know, throughout the world our, you know, that love of Christ. But it's, it's more complicated than that. The, um, the J.B. Phillips translation, back to this one again, does an interesting thing. It kind of makes it a little more cosmic Christy with the way that he that he um, uses the 22 into 23. He says, God has placed everything under the power of Christ and has set him up as supreme head to the church. For the church is his body, and in that body lives fully the one who fills the whole wide universe. Yeah. The whole yeah. wide universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one, but again, Phillips is saying, Phillips' translation here is saying that it's Christ who fills the whole wide universe. So it, it creates this, the idea of the Christ that is mm. in all, throughout all. It, it takes a little bit of responsibility sure. away from, from the church, who, you know, who in other translate, the translation you read, it is implying that the church then has the, uh, has not just yeah. the, the power from God, but the responsibility from and God. And I think it's probably a both and. Like, I don't want to make it all the church's responsibility in the way that, like, it's it's our um, it's our works that actually make us belong in the sense of, like, my it's mm-hmm. my duty, and it's only if I fulfill my duty that I am welcomed in. I think the both and version of putting these two interpretations together is, I absolutely do feel like I have responsibility to share just how loving I've experienced this God to be in my life and how that has inspired me to show up in the world differently than I did years ago. Um, Yeah. And at the same time, it also makes me very comfortable with the idea like God doesn't fucking need me to do anything like he. (laughs) (laughs) Most days, most days I'll admit. It's not that I don't think God needs me to do anything. It's just that I don't really feel like I. What am or I, how am I, I am actually going to produce meaningful change on my own? Yeah. Yeah, that's the hopelessness that we experience. Yeah. I think in the modern world yeah. in general, that we feel so small right. and so helpless, and and the, the 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 passing of time seems to be marked consistently more and more in our world with uh, horrible, violent things happening and, and awful um, and, and awful things that humans do to each other, and we are essentially powerless yeah. to stop them individually. So it can be a challenge to look at, at that idea and say, uh, you know, okay, I guess I'm going to yeah. try, but what am I going to accomplish? But it's, it's just simply the act of living the truth of, of, of that you have experienced mm-hmm. through through accepting Christ, through the love of Christ. It, it's not that you need to stand on a street corner with a megaphone and a sign assuring people yeah. that you know they're going to hell for participating in whatever right. sexual activity that well, you don't ultimately really too, care for. Like my personal experience is like the quietest Christians seem to be the ones who are really in on the joke. I keep coming back to that phrase, but it's really like yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone has been meaningfully converted by the actions of a street preacher in a very individualistic way of like, let me make a reasoned argument to teach you about the hell I believe in. 
let me make sure that you also believe in that hell before I tell you, ah, but there's good news friend, you know, like I think the quietest Christians who do work in community and certainly there's a tension between the individualism of our culture versus like some of the more collectivistic or like communal natures of other cultures. And I think rightly that's starting to come out in quite a bit of uh, even like film and art now is just recognizing that communal cultures are onto something and maybe we're lacking it here in America where we really like to be like the bootstrapped. I did it all myself, right? Quote unquote, self-made. Whereas, you know, you weren't self-made, you were system made by the system who privileges you. And I like, I've had to come to grips with that just being in my like economic status and like where, where I find myself in the, uh, in the world right now. But I think, it becomes more daunting when we feel as if the work we have to do is isolated and is individualistic. Um, whereas I, I think invoking the church like Paul is doing here in Ephesians is showing that no real change can be affected if we really tap into the power of doing it as a community, doing it as a united front. Uh, and yeah yeah like transforming something by by the hands of the many rather than just like the brains or the leadership of the few yeah and acting in love and i think that that's where people who say oh well we're gonna you know i'll be on the street corners or i'll fill every hall of of government or I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll dominate these countries that these poor savages that don't understand, yeah. Christ, you know, the love of Christ, right. we'll just go take over. Uh, that's yeah. not moving in love. That's not acting yeah. in love the way that Christ right. did and the way that Christ does. You know, uh, it, that, that lesson of love, Paul here isn't saying uh, anything about damnation. Paul isn't saying in this in this passage isn't saying anything about criticizing or rebuking other people uh you know love must fill the earth that's how all are brought together and all are um all are perfected in christ and so that should inform the way that you move in the world that the way that you act should be wow even reading ahead in ephesians like I'm, i'm just glancing at headers and a few sentences here or there like I see nothing about damnation. Like, <laughs> very much, very much. Like, I <laughs> again, I feel like you and I have been kind of like caught up in the stream of what Paul is leading us to. Because, I mean, there are themes that you and I have talked about over the last hour that Paul is going to talk about in chapter three, chapter four, like unity in the body of Christ, mm-hmm. living as children of light. Wow. Yeah. The only real criticisms uh, Paul has is discussing mm-hmm. sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, things like that in five. But even five is is it's bookended by walking in love. Yeah, that you know this that's is the way. The, the main yeah. message here uh, that yeah the way is in love because that is how Christ uh, that mm. is how Christ lives you know yeah. in us. That's what God has done for us. The cup overflowed. Uh, and and it fell down on us, and so we have that love, yeah. and we can carry it with us. We can infect others with our love. 
in fact, it's probably not a good word for that. I, I think I take your point though. I mean, like, so love, love is, is a vulnerable <laughs> thing. Right. And I, I can't help but speak of love as like an upturned open handed palm, right. Of like, love is here to give and receive with this open hand that's held upward. Um, it's very bottom up in that sense. Whereas I think where we start to get things twisted, right? Like you think of examples of Christians infiltrating the government, right? And then legislating their morality or Constantine making it the official religion is that is very top down and that's not what ultimately inspires those of us who are actually captured and actually have like the Holy Spirit from this this Pentecostal moment of, uh, I feel no desire to force anyone to see God the way I do. I would I would rather do the the much harder work in a in a gentle way of. holding that a lot more openly and offering that in the sense of like, let me inspire you to see the world the way I do, because man, is this world beautiful if you have the eyes to see it. Yeah. Rather than, yeah. Rather than legislating, not just more morality, but legislating someone's, you know, opinions on eternity or opinions on, right. On, a deity or or theology <laughs> right. or Everyone religion must see it this it's, way that's what inspires like inquisitions right that's what inspires literal like yeah. stake burnings yeah right it gets ugly it gets real ugly and it's and to good. be so <laughs> and to be so like lied to in the sense of like i believe that it is my god-given mandate to kill someone who doesn't agree with me what that (laughs) no that ain't god (laughs) that ain't god no no because like (laughs) right we we follow the crucified god the one who died so that we didn't have to keep killing for our opinions or our theologies or our beliefs Yeah. Wow. So we love sacrificially. Gosh. Loving the one who, as he says in verse 23, is in everything. What is it in the NIV? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Or the entire universe. Is that how the J.B. Phillips put it as well? Something like that. The whole uh, wide universe. Phillips... Um, I was just looking through every, uh, basically every other one uses the phrase fills all in all, fills all in all those four words, very specific. And, uh, and yeah, God's, uh, God's here. I know it can feel like, I know it can feel like the Christ is not running through us at all times. I know that I have days where I'm, I'm searching, trying to find it within myself, but Mm. Yeah. Amen. God's here. Uh, did you have uh, any anything else you wanted to touch on here? Um, we're running a little low on time. I don't no. want to rush this, but um, 
gosh, I feel like I feel like we had some, absolutely we had some beautiful notes here. Yeah, no, I think I've I've uh, had the opportunity to give my rants as they came up. Um, <laughs> I oh, of course, that's right? what podcasting is all about. I I really just can't get over the sense of like <laughs> I have never like in a previous period of my life I was really inspired to evangelize and share the gospel right so much so that I was like part of organizations that basically trained you how to do it and have like mini debates on street corners or whatever um really animated by the idea of I want to make sure as few people go to hell as possible and also in a in the way I was taught it right because to your question the calvinist like why would it matter if it's all predestined and the here or the elect and here or not? Like why evangelize at that point? The way I heard that danced around was, well, it's so that we can hasten the second coming of Christ because as, as soon as everyone on earth has had the opportunity, whether or not they were predestined to accept it or not, at least if they've been presented the gospel in a meaningful way, that triggers the second coming of Christ and we can actually get this show on the road. <laughs> um, so that was an inspiration for me at a younger time in my life. And now like I, I feel almost a, an equal desire to evangelize in some way. And that's kind of a loaded term I know, but mm. my goodness, if, if someone comes away from this conversation, not feeling inspired by this vision of christ like i'm sorry i feel like i've done you a disservice then because this is truly like the most beautiful version of god i've been able to imagine up until this point and i'm sure i'll have my ways corrected and see things newly in five years or ten years from now but i really hope that it's always god luring me into a place where i can just continue to reimagine an ever expansive and inclusive and loving God who lavishes all of this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could say it any well, better thank you. than that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lovely, I think that's a lovely place for us to, to wrap up. Uh, do you want to throw some plugs out there for the world so they can, uh, and I'll yeah. put some links in the show notes, but yeah, absolutely. So we already mentioned it, but I you. co-host a show uh, with two of my friends called Ravel, R-A-V-E-L. And uh, yeah, we have faith conversations every week, just born out of a single question that uh, we just are on a rotation of getting to basically present our initial pulling of the thread, as it were. I also host another podcast with my wife called No Normal People, K-N-O-W, Normal People, where I interview people as if they were the next famous authors or artists or thought leaders like you know like a tim ferris would interview someone but i interview people that i promise you've never heard of uh but i really think you should listen to them because <laughs> normal people are awesome it's like the elevator pitches it's like humans of new york but a podcast in montana um yeah and those two shows are <laughs> part of the highline media network that i founded and that i run and that's a that's a collection of podcasts all around that idea of normal people podcasting right like we're not celebrities that you've heard of 
we're not doing recaps of the office, even though I think those shows are great. And I listen to many of them, uh, normal people. Sure. I think it's all yeah. about normal people. If we can normalize the idea that no one really deserves, deserves the platform they have and that everyone's thoughts are valid and that we should listen to each <laughs> other. And it's by listening that we make the world a better place. That's what Highline is for. So, and then you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Stephen G Henning, uh, same tag on Instagram, but admittedly, I just don't do anything on Instagram. It's not the one that I like. So, certain people gravitate towards certain social media platforms. I'll never really understand what kind of person does what, but but uh, it is always interesting. But thank you so much for coming back on. I think we. I mean, honestly, I would love oh. to have you back on again at some point. I would point love if, to. If I, I really love the openings it. of Paul's um, letters. Colossians 1 is another way to talk about, like, the supremacy of, like, a cosmic Christ in uh, in some of the most beautiful language Paul has in his letters. So I'll, I'll just put that out there as a hook, maybe. We do that one next. <laughs> there you have it. Colossians Fantastic. 1 coming soon. <laughs> Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, again, I, I did a really in poor taste plug of the Patreon mid-discussion of God's love, so I'll just do it. I'll, I think I'll cut that one <laughs> from earlier, and I'll do one right now with full force. Uh, you can get all the bonus material, including um, uh, extra episodes, the occasional uh, community fellowship event that we have on our Discord. Uh, we have a weekly Bible study um, right now. We have a weekly rosary group that... Uh, praise together every week we also do movie nights and and just just fun stuff like that so um if you want to go to patreon.com slash trans snoopy um you can check us out uh the poem this week is called veni creator it is by cheslov milos mm. i'm sorry if i butchered that name it's from uh, his book selected in last poems come holy spirit bending or not bending the grasses appearing or not above our heads in a tongue of flame at hay harvest or when they plow in the orchards or when snow covers crippled firs in the sierra nevada i am only a man i need visible signs i tire easily building the stairway of abstraction many a time i asked you know it well that the statue in church lifts its hand only once just once for me but i understand that signs must be human Therefore, call one man, anywhere on earth, not me. After all, I have some decency. And allow me, when I look at him, to marvel at you. Thanks, Revolutionary